Hey everybody, uh, today is July 9th. We are uh, we are here recording. Uh, Adam's on uh, remote because he's at home with uh, foot surgery. Today we're going to have our first live call-in. And before we get started, we're going to have Gary give us a little uh, catch-up on what's been going on. A little catch-up. So um, I think we've brought up before that I have a side business selling shirts. Uh, currently it's a front business. Is that what you would call it when it's no longer a side business? A front business? Sure. We're going to call it a front business. Well, a, a, a front also has some very negative connotations. Like well, money laundering. Pri- <laughs> oh, a front. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, of course. You know, you don't report any of it. <laughs> um, so I just went to a large expo this weekend. Um, and before I explain how well or not well that went, um, when I started a business, you know, a lot of it was. Um, figure, just say yes to everything and then figure out what you can and can't do. Um, I wasn't going to grow. You can't grow with a business if you don't try to do new things. So like, I know when I got my first large order, someone says, Hey, can you make 800 shirts? I'm like, sure. Um, you know, and it was a large amount of money that I have up, put up front to, to buy all the, 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 uh, shirts and everything. Uh, and then it came back like six months later, can you do 1700 sweatshirts? I'm like, it was like over $10,000 I had invest and hopefully no problems, but say yes and, you know, get it all done. Um, and I've had times where I have people ask me if I can sell at their event and it's the same week and I already have something going on. I'm like, yes, and we figure it out. Um, so I figure I always say yes, see what I can do. So this weekend it was the, I've always said I want to see what I can do if I go to a, a an expo to sell shirt custom shirts at an expo. And this is the largest 15K in the country. It's about 40,000 runners. Um, and the guy who I know up there wanted to know if I'd partner with him to sell shirts. And I said, sure. Um, it did not go well. Mm. Uh, if it's the only event I've ever done where I lost money. Um, but the only real reason I lost money is because, you know, I had to drive four hours to get there. I had to pay for a hotel for two nights. Um, and all the expenses just to be there outweighed all my expenses or all my profits that I made, which was not a lot to begin with. So, uh, it was not a success, but I tried and I know next time, if I want to do it again, either don't do it or new plan. But, but hang on, like a couple of nights in a hotel and gas money, like that's not enough to, like it had to be, it had to be no, you had to have no sales. Like well, what, my expenses for being there were about $500. Okay. But if you're going to be there at an expo for a week, and I would expect you to make a lot more than that. It sucked. So, so what was it about it that didn't volume? produce? Lack of volume. Oh, I didn't sell a lot. Um, we, uh, partially it was not. Uh, promoted the way um, I would have liked. You know, there was a lot of social media. They had stuff on their website. They did email blasts. So they, we did cut people come and say, hey, I heard you do this and want to get it done. Like we put names on shirts. Um, we can customize their shirts or the ones they buy from us. Um, but I was set up in a spot where if you didn't know what I was doing, it was very hard to tell what I was doing. So we did decide if we do it again next year, we have to have a much better presence so people actually understood what it was. Right. Well, that's kind of good because even though it wasn't a financial success, it was success in the terms of learning, mm. right? What to do in the uh, future, listen, what not to do. If you're going to have a business, you gotta, you got, you're not going to know. Like I could have right. said no and never know. But I've also had a lot of times where I could have said no and lost thousands of dollars of profit. So, you know, um, it's okay. You know, I learned and I know next time what needs to be different or what I, or if I want to take it on at all. Cool. If you don't mind me asking, what, what other avenues are you, now that you have the time and you're looking to boost this forward, what are you looking for in the future? 
to be able to do anything different than running or? Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I've reached out, I, I did like a swim event last year and it went really well and I'm trying to get more into it, but it's, it's not an easy thing from what I do. And, and I've had a conversation with Ray, it's all relationships. Mm. I've asked a lot of people and I get a lot of no's and there's no reason why there's a no. They're not doing anything at all. They only make money. Um, but it's not until I either get to know them or through somebody who I already know who convinces them to let me do it. They're like, yes, we should have done this to begin with. Um, but, you know, more outreach, more more not just events. So knocking uh, down doors, marketing. Yeah. yeah. And I, I got to talk to your niece about the whole cheerleading thing because that's another Oh, it's a huge avenue. avenue. Yeah. But it, I, I think it's the same though, right? You have to know someone in there. Got to know somebody. I mean, I guess one thing is when I was at this event, I ran to somebody I know and he sees what I do and he says, I go to a lot of soccer tournaments. And he says, I'm going to hook you up because they don't have people doing this and, and I, I could do well there too. So and I might have not made a lot of money or lost a little bit of money, but this can turn into making a lot of money, you know, from, for something like that. So we'll see how it goes. Gary, I think, you know, very well stated. And, um, and I, I agree with you. It's about the lessons learned and look, you, you didn't, you know, lose thousands and thousands of dollars or anything. The lessons learned are probably well worth it. And I'd just like to underscore the main takeaway that I got here that applies in almost every situation. It's about out relationships. Yeah. And you just kind of highlighted that here. And, and the only way to build them is to get out there and do what you did. That is right. Okay. Awesome, Gary. Thank you. Thanks for that. And uh, now we are going to code over to our Q&A, which is going to be live for the first time. So on the line and on our screens, we have Tom Canning. Welcome, Tom. Hey, everybody. Good Hello. afternoon. How you doing, Tom? So Tom, Good, man. Tom's a former coworker of mine um, who got saddled with a whole bunch of work when I left. Um, <laughs> and he's still smiling, so I guess everything's okay. Um, so definitely. Yeah, just wait, Ray. He's going to take it out on you over the next 60 minutes here. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Tom had a whole bunch of questions, so we figured we'd have him on um, once instead of calling in a bunch of times. Um, so, Tom, tell us, uh, before we start, where are you from? Tell us, you know, a microcosm of what, wh who you are. Sure. So, um, Tom Canning. I'm uh, born and raised on Long Island on the South Shore. Um, I parents still have a place down in Oak Beach, if you're familiar with the old OBI from back in the days. I grew up about half a mile uh, east of there, which is about 10 miles east of Jones Beach, if you're more familiar with that. Um, Going to be 38 next week. So, uh, Happy early birthday. That's great. <laughs> um, I, I got two kids. Uh, <laughs> two, two kids. Two um, kids. My son is uh, Liam. He's going to be five in September. And um, my daughter, Abby, is about a year and a half old. And, uh, yeah, as, as you know, as you heard, I, um, you know, stepped in to fill Ray's uh, very big shoes with other very big shoes of my own. Mm -hmm. That's a tall joke because I'm six, seven. So <laughs> very Holy cow. So you're like two rays. Yeah. Oh, I got. I got to show you. I'll, I'll find the picture of me and Tom. <laughs> two, two rays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My... Uh, my my team, formerly Ray's team, but my team now lovingly refers to me as Little Ray because they they think that that's still funny. But, uh, but yeah, still funny. <laughs> awesome. All right, Tom. So um, so take it away. Let's let's have a question. All right. Um, well, I will start with um, when I started working with Ray, which I got to I got to work with him for about two years. Um, 
he was always telling us, oh, I'm going to retire one day. I'm going to retire. You guys got to do this. I'm going to have to retire. Yeah, I'm going to retire. <laughs> and I never thought it would happen. And then that it actually did. Um, but in the short amount of time, I learned a lot of race, I guess, philosophy. Um, and I've been trying to impart that on my own. But um, one of the big things I would ask you guys about is um, leveraging credit, specifically for daily spending, like using debit cards versus credit cards. Um, I have a personal belief on how I think, you know, we, we use it. Um, my wife and I try to consolidate all our spending onto a card that has a reward program. Um, but I'm interested to hear what you guys think about it. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Um, number one, if I've got, uh, the option credit over debit, it's credit all the time without question for really two reasons. One, I'm, I'm, I'm getting points. Um, and whether that is a, a, a U-Promise uh, fund 1.5% for, for Liam and Abby or frequent flyer miles or whatever, you're getting points. Uh, the only time that may not work out is paying gas these days. A lot of times when you're, you're fueling up, it's more cost-effective to uh, pay cash for gas. I'm going to disagree with that because my card gets 4% back on gas. Okay. There you go. Some cards even beat that. Yeah. Um, in, and then in, in times where interest rates are a little bit higher than they are now, you're delaying when you actually need to pay that um, credit card bill. This theory is all well and good, but unless you're able to pay that credit card bill in full on time, it can also be a recipe for disaster. So anybody else have a different opinion on this as far as using credit cards, getting the points, getting the cash back? No, but I, I think there's one option there that, because that, I think the last thing that um, Adam said is the most important thing. You can get yourself into some trouble if you do that. You know, then you're, you're floating this money and not getting the benefits. But I think the biggest one is, at least the way I've been explained and the way I've experienced it, let's say that you go to Europe or you go on a vacation or you do something with a debit card, someone either takes that number and uses that card, they just took your money. Now you got to go to the bank and defend that with them. Whereas if you use the credit card, you use the credit card's money and they are very quick to defend you. And I've, that I've experienced myself both ways. Jennifer and I got our identity stolen. They took a, a whole bunch of stuff and the debit was one of them. And it, was a, it wasn't a process that I've, I lost but it was cumbersome. Mm -hmm. Whereas not two months ago, they took a hundred dollars on a gaming program mm -hmm. um, that little Stevie knew the name of it. And immediately in two seconds, they gave me the credit. They went after him. They the, found out who it was. Second one was your credit card. The credit card. Yeah. Exactly. So I think one of the things is safety purposes and you're using someone else's money, which goes a long way. So I, I had never thought about that until <clears throat> the last six months or four months maybe, but we know two other people that this has happened to in the last couple of months and, and, and totally agree. Like I never want to use a debit card ever yep. again for that yep. same reason. Right. It's just, just straight door access to your checking account. Yep, right? yep, yep. So I, I have no reason to use it. I'm probably just stop carrying it around. Like maybe just for emergencies. That's my number three go to, yeah. you know, two yep. credit cards and one debit just to be on the safe side. Yep. I think it's important that, um, since we've had these discussions before, I think it's better to use your credit card if you know how to use it properly and not go over your budget. So if you can only afford to spend, let's just say $2,000 a month, based off of your income, then set your limit to 2000 
your credit limit to have a credit card. So you can't go over that because if you, if you're not able to pay it month after month, you're going to pay a lot more money. Um, so just, it's important to, to make sure you're, you're not going over. Agree. I'd also like to, to throw in something here that hasn't been around for at least 15 years, but everything goes in cycles. This opportunity will come back and be ready for it. And, uh, 2005, for a few years, there was a time where you could get credit cards um, with uh, balance transfers and uh, not have to pay anything back for six months, right? So what I was doing, and I think, Ray, you, you were doing this too, you, you, you'd get a card, pull out 10, 20K in credit as much as you possibly could, throw it in an interest-bearing account, which at the time you could get 4 to 5%. And then at five months and 30 days, you pay the credit card off in full and you just made that interest for six months. And granted, it was kind of a, a lot of money to throw out there to, to, to make, you know, four or 500 bucks each time. But those opportunities are there. And uh, again, it comes down to just running the numbers, being on top of it, being willing to do a little bit of extra work and uh, being handy with a spreadsheet helps too. Spreadsheet. Spreadsheets are always good. <laughs> We're gonna get a new spreadsheet jingle, Adam. So you gotta you gotta wait for it today. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, was, <laughs> just like that. Yeah. That was a good one. You could just do it on your own. I know. All right. I think we're done with that, Tom. Unless you have other questions or no, no, no. Uh, no it's really that 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 um, that aligns well with what I what I usually do. I mean, the only thing I would add is that like we we bank with you know with the same company that we use our credit card with. So rather than waiting for the bill to stack up, what my wife and I will do is we'll just make smaller payments. You know, if we spend $200 on dinner one night, we'll just, when we get home, send a payment for 200 bucks. It's like literally just exactly the same as using your debit card. Yeah. Um, this may sound stupid, but I didn't now, know you could do that. <laughs> I figured you have to pay it off all of it at um, once. I, I said there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but at some point when your checking account is getting more than 0.02%, that's the advantage. Let it, let it ride, pay it all at once on the due date. But so, yeah. That, so, oh, uh, yeah. So why don't you just branch out, it. branch out on that, right? So, so in our capital one accounts today, the checking account gets 0. 0.0 whatever on it, but the preferred savings account gets 4.3. So we have all of the money in the, in the, in there. And then we just pull it over to the checking account to pay bills. Right. So if that's the case, that, that would actually be a preferred way to do it, Tom, would leave it all in an interest right. bearing one and, and don't pay them short term like you are. Wait till the end. Yeah. Leave, leave it as long as possible and, uh, and pay it and get, get, get the interest on the way. Quick follow up on that. Are you paying taxes on that interest uh, or is there a way to shelter that? Is that a, is that a loaded question? Because I'm going to say yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how else. You well, you would get a statement it. from the bank at the end of the. You get a ten ninety nine INT form, yeah. and that's your, right. that's your capital gains. Yeah, and you're not going to pull. I, it I haven't made enough interest in like fifteen years for my bank because <laughs> you need it. It's got to be at least fifteen dollars. I mean, I have a lot of money, and you get point zero one percent. Well, that's because it's in your checking account. Yes. You got to put in one of these other ones. Yeah, and Adam had brought up a good point about everything being cyclical. I mean, now you know, talk about interest rates. Banks are now offering CDs that are now between five and six percent. Yep. Yep. Which are be better than I bonds kind of sort of getting real close. Getting close. Right. FDIC insured. That's right. All right, Tom. All right. Um, so I'm, uh, 
not not as close to retirement or not ready for retirement quite yet. Um, so I'm still de- definitely in the uh, in the rat race. Um, so I was uh, curious to hear what some of the tips are for you know how to how to make it in that nine to five until you you know get out and branch out or retire or do something else. Um, you know I've heard you guys talk about you know you have your nine to five and then you have to do something on the side. Um, I like it for my nine to five to be as lucrative as possible, obviously. Um, so what are some strategies that you guys would say, um, to get promoted to, you know, when to take risks, when to take on new projects, when to take on, um, different pieces of work to increase your, your ability to earn. Who wants to go? I'll start on this one. Go ahead, Ed. So I think from my perspective, from my life experience, you know, one of the key things I would say is the outlook on what you had just said is rat race. There is a board game that we played several times with our kids uh, called Cash Flow, And it's interesting because every time we play that game, everyone's, you know, jockeying to win. I got to get this. I got to get that. And what I try to make a point to my kids is on the board, there's a spot where you give. And I said, when I play, you guys are trying to win. I'm trying to run enough money that when I come around that spot on the board that I can give. And so I think the perspective of the rat race is certainly a perspective a lot of people have. But when you're looking at things that try to lead towards fulfillment, things that you'll enjoy, right? Now we're looking at a different perspective. So for instance, I do work extra jobs. And one of the extra jobs I, I work is an adjunct professor at a local college. But I was ex- sharing with a lot of the you know fe- fellows here in the podcast is when I go there, that day at work is very much like the field trip at school. I'm still going to work. Just like when we were kids, we had to go to school. But that field day, boy, you couldn't wait to get out to that school bus because you know it was something different. And for me, I love it. One day I may not, and in which case I don't want to do it. But I think seeking your fulfillment in terms of what you do and not looking at things at a rat race makes a huge difference. It has in my life. Absolutely. Um, What would I say? Um, You've got to be able to take the risks. Um, If you want to move up, move on. If you wanted to change careers to do something that you love instead of the rat race thing you're doing, like like those are, there's always going to be a risk there, right? Um, And trying to figure out when to take that, that make that change. And is it okay? You know, is is always a little bit, um, there's always a little bit of struggle. Uh, So I can tell you that all the jobs that I've had and, and I, and I moved up with each one, salary was higher with each one, more responsibilities were higher with each one. Most of them were unintentional, right? Like I wasn't looking to do it, um, but somebody came and said, hey, you should go this, you should interview for this position, we're doing this, we're doing that. And I remember thinking about it a lot and saying, well, if I do this and it's more work and I don't like it, I'm gonna be upset, why did I do, you know, like the, the whole like second guessing thing. Um, but in the end, and other people have told me the same thing, you just do it, right? If somebody gives you an opportunity, you just do it. Right. Because for the most part, um, they're giving you, they're offering opportunities because they think you're capable of taking it on and they're expecting something bigger and better from you. Right. So if, um, if you don't take those opportunities when they're offered, then you're going to have to go out looking for opportunities. And that's a different, that's different. Right. Cause now you're like, it's in, it's the wild west, right? There's a million job openings. I got to go look for something, right? If someone comes to you with something, um, you should seriously consider them. Um, I can tell you one that someone offered me, um, and it was when Devin offered me the actuary job way back when, and I took it and it was a disaster and I turned around and left three months later. Right. So it does, but you tried, but I tried. Um, and now I know what actuaries do. So I learned a little bit. 
Um, but, but that was the only time where it kind of didn't work out. Um, but I would say that, um, you know, you've got to, and I have a skewed view of this because I know where you work and all that kind of stuff. Um, you, you have an oppor- you have plenty of opportunities there to, to make changes, right? So you should be meeting as many people as you can. Relationships are the big thing, right? And, and, and we went through that before. Um, and those relationships are, will, will get you those other positions and those other responsibilities, and you'll feel more comfortable about it because of the relationship part. Adam, got anything? Did we lose Adam? He's oh, moving. Um, first, quick question for Tom. Um, do you love this job, in, in which case, why are you trying to get out, or is, is early retirement a goal? So um, I actually do really like my job, um, which is funny to say, especially to Ray since it was it's before. But uh, <laughs> but no, I I really do. Uh, I, I I've been enjoying it. Um, I I just think that um, I don't know that I love it. Um, it's not a passion of mine. Um, which it's is interesting. Okay, which is to common, me. though. I would like, say. Yeah, uh, it, you, you, you said it, that, that, that passion word, you, you said it. Um, I, th- I think on a previous uh, episode, we noted that maybe 20% of folks find uh, themselves in a career that really is following their bliss. You were, use the words of Joseph Campbell or uh, in line with their passions. Um, I guess you're, you sound like you're in the other category where you, where you like your job, you find it fulfilling, it's uh, rewarding, uh, but not necessarily... Uh, your spiritual mission in life. So in that case, um, as Ray said, you're already in a good position. You're not necessarily looking to put your resume out there. So my advice uh, is to to always say yes. Um, you're never ever gonna be fully 100% ready for that next position because you'd already be there if you were, right? There's, you're never gonna be ready for that next step. You just gotta take it. Um, two other things in, in conversations with, uh, clients, uh, peers, colleagues, superiors, um, think about exactly what they want to hear from you and then think about, well, how close can I actually say that? How close can I actually get to that and still back it up? And if you're there for that sole purpose of, you know, getting out, which sounds cynical, um, but inherent in that is doing an awesome job, making yourself valuable. And what better way to do that than give people exactly what they want as long as you can back it up. The third and, and, and final thing I'd say here is on uh, deadlines. Um, first of all, unless you can point to it on a clock or a calendar, it doesn't exist and it's not going to happen. Those are the 10 seconds of value I got from a 16-hour project management course 20 years ago, but they were worth every hour. That's it. When you're given a deadline or you accept a deadline, there's only two real options. One, you deliver on it, or two, there's advanced warning of why you're not going to deliver on it. That's all I got. So Tom, I have a quick question for you. When you started this new position, uh, you've been doing it for what, I guess three months, four months? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you have a little bit of imposter syndrome? Oh, I still have it. Still have it every day. <laughs> it is a, it's a normal thing. Um, I, I found every time I got a new position, I'm like, I, I don't belong here. Uh, even with my side job, I go, I go to these places. I'm like, when is somebody going to tell me you can't be here? Um, you don't belong here. 
Yeah. Is that what you mean? Like, yeah. Like yeah. this is not, you, you're an imposter. You, some, this somebody else's, you're taking somebody else's job. Um, it goes away. And then you went like a year from now, you're like, I don't know why I ever felt that way. Um, but you know, it's, it's common. Um, but for as well, something you else to do, because it sounds like you want to keep your job. You're looking for something to, 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 to invest in somewhere oh, else yeah. other than just regular stocks and things like that. Um, yeah. and I know your job based off raised time consumers, so you're going to have to do something where it's less time, like, like property. So you can, you might have to invest in buying a property. Um, as opposed well, to a side business. Yes. Cause that's going to be time consuming unless the side business is something like I'm going to get, you know, people hire you to get things off the top shelf. Well, I think we're actually you're six, seven, but, but, <laughs> but we, we, right, we're starting a podcast, but we are bleeding the question a little bit. So part of the question was the rat race part, right? How do you be more successful in the rat race and continue to progress and all that kind of stuff? Um, or in your career, if we don't say rat race, right? Um, and the one thing I will say that um, on top of what Adam was saying, Tom, is that when when promotions happen, um, there's a lot of discussion in those sessions about who should be promoted. And, and I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but the question always comes up, is this person all already behaving in the manner that this promoted position would expect them to be, exactly. right? And if they are, that's one more checkbox to say, well, then why aren't we promoting them, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, um, so that's what Adam was saying. Always say yes, just make it happen. And the imposter syndrome, syndrome thing is true, right? Like just yeah. because you think it doesn't mean it. it so, you know, just go on what you said. I know I've worked with a lot of people who are below me and said, I'm, I'm just here till I can get to this position. And I'm like, but you suck at this position. Why would anybody want to move you to the nether <laughs> position? Like be good at this one before you think about moving on. Right. But they probably picked that because it's like a salary level or something else or some prestige thing, right? Not because of their skill level. They're just saying like, I want to move up. Yeah. I want to move up. Right. But yeah. And look, like a lot of places, your income and your salary is dependent on the role, right? Like we're not, you can't, you're in bands, pay bands and stuff, right? You can't make, you, we can't give you a raise anymore because you're at the top of the band. You've got to get promoted. Well, what do I got to do to get promoted? And then you've got to either take more responsibility or become a manager of other people, or there's all these other reasons um, that you've got to play that sort of game in corporate America. Um, but I would say from what I know, you're on the right track, right? Because the change that we made a few months ago for you was a big deal, right? Um, so that, that's the way to go, but you got to keep doing it, right? So when somebody calls you in a, in a year from now and says, hey, I want you to go do this role, you can't, you may not, what you don't want to feel is guilty. Like, oh, I just started this job a year and a half ago. You know, maybe should I, should I not leave yet, right? But if it's an internal thing within the company, like that's fair game, right? Like people do that all the time, right? So don't, don't be afraid to change. I think one other thing that I throw in there, Tom, uh, Adam mentioned the statistic about 20% and you had mentioned you may not necessarily love your job, but you're very happy with it. You know, it's a good job. Uh, that may change in the future, right? Mergers happen, restructures happen. You know, sometimes things open up and you may find yourself in a different position in the future, which you tell yourself, boy, I really love this yeah. now, right? But it's because you're doing the job that you feel good about and that makes you happy now and ends up maybe it leads to a job that you do love and you are on that 20%. That's right. Or you go find the job that gets you into the 20%. Yes, right. you can do that too. The grass is not always greener. Right. Okay. Bring it on. What's next? Um, so I've heard you guys talk about HSA, and I have two young kids. My son is, you know, basically a COVID kid, went to pre-K for the first time this year. And, you know, we were in the doctor's office constantly. So my health expenses are high for them because everything that my son gets, gets my daughter. 
Um, so I know that you guys have talked about the HSA and how you use it. My, you know, problem is like, you know, do I really want to put that much money into the HSA to be able to fund all the co-pays and things? Should I drop my health plan down to the, to the, you know, worst case scenario plan and then contribute more to HSA rather than pay the premiums? Like, what do you guys think is the best thing for, you know, somebody with a young family? Anybody else have HSA besides me, Adam? Adam shaking his head. Nope. Okay. <laughs> and I have no kids. No, I, I do not. Um, <laughs> I, I, I dabbled with it, but we had very low expenses. And the uh, this was when it first came out. The additional burden of managing the receipts and paperwork wasn't worth it at the time. But I understand that's gotten a lot easier over the years. So we are taking another look at that too. But Ray, I'm sure you've got more current yeah. info so, on it. I was so, very excited when it came out. I thought, you know, something that we could be definitely benefit from. But unfortunately, I don't know what your situation is there, Tom, but you have to have the high deductible health plan in order to qualify for it. And we just simply have, didn't have that. Correct. Right. So, right. So if it's not available to you, yeah, it it's not an option. Yep. Right? So it is available to you, Tom, right? So, so, so just to back it up. So HSA is a health savings account. And what they've said is, look, if you, if you are willing to go into the high deductible medical plan, right? So in, in your case, it's plan A, plan B, plan C, and you got to go to plan C, right? And the deductible was probably several thousand dollars, three, four thousand dollars, right? Um, if you're willing to go there, then you can open up this, this health savings account, you can put money into it, and it's just like a 401k or an IRA, right? So the money goes in tax-free, the money grows tax-free, and when you take it out, it's tax-free, provided you use it to pay for medical benefits, Right, so it's the best of all the investments. It's better than an IRA. It's better than anything else. What if you don't long... use it? Like, let's just say it builds up to a hundred thousand dollars. So, so we'll get there. So, <clears throat> so, so that's the only caveat, right? You got to use it for medical. So, what it turns out is that the timing is easy, right? So, you put the money in now, and you pay your bills on your own, and you leave this investment account growing, and you can pick, you know, you know, mutual funds and stuff to let it invest. And you get to take that money out in the future whenever you want to use it for medical plans. It could be next month, it could be next year, it could be 10 years, right? And the plan stays with you. It doesn't stay with your company, right? It's your personal plan. So the bottom line is in 20 years, you could have all this money piled up in there that's been invested and you can say, oh, look, I got to pay for my new hip because I'm, I broke my hip. I just, and then you can take the money out and then you can use that receipt. So you didn't need receipts. You know, you don't, you don't need to track all the time. You've just got to do it right. The other thing you could do is flip the time. So if you had a medical expense in 2023 and you kept the receipt for it, right? Then in 2029, you could take the money out and claim that receipt from then and say, look, I pay, I'm paying back for this thing that I did six years ago. Did you have to have your HSA at that, that time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you can take the money out and go buy a car, right? Like, so it's just a swapping of time and money, can right? You, can you use it for somebody else in your family or only for you? It's for whoever's covered in the health plan okay. that you're on, right? So so the flexibility is there, right? So it's not like you can say, well, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to use this in 10 years because I have a different situation. Like it doesn't matter. So yes, you should keep your receipts um, somehow electronically, <coughs> you, you know, it might be the best way, um, but paper copies is always good. Um, but I personally think it's great, right? And we've been building it up for all these years as basically a retirement health plan for us. But if if you're going to have a higher deductible, what's the benefit of getting the higher, you're paying more money to do it. Well, you have, to, there's a little bit of math there, right? So a higher deductible means a lower monthly payment into your health plan, 
Well, I mean, where I was, my health plan payment was so low that why would I ever want to do that? And maybe that's true, right? So everybody's got to do that math for themselves, right? But for us, when we looked at mine, we looked at ways and do the math and say, look, we don't go to the doctor that much. We don't have that many bills right now. The kids were not sick that often. So paying a few co-pays, paying for some stuff, like it wasn't a big deal. So you basically save, let's just say you save $2,000 on having a lower, you're paying right. less money to your uh, monthly payment. Your monthly payment, but right. The, but you're going to have a higher deductible. It's a wash, roughly. Right. But now you can have easier uh, way of growing your tax money. But you can put seven thousand ish dollars, I guess, yeah. like per year now into that account, right? Seven thousand three hundred as of twenty twenty two. There you go. What well, happens if you of. spend more than that? You can't put more. No, no, it has nothing to do with your. There's no in and out. It's nothing to do with your spending. Like if you have the plan, and you 70. can invest seven thousand, just like you can have whatever the limit is for an IRA, whatever the limit yeah. is for four hundred one k, same thing. So it's just it's just basically saying like oh I already hit my limit on my four hundred one k I already hit my limit on an IRA here's another another way to put tax free money aside and invest and leave it there for the future, right? Okay. So to me I think it's great, um, and it and it really comes down to are you comfortable today paying your bills without some of the extras right and paying some of those deductibles if you have to, and then if you are you can push it off to the future and take the tax advantage then. You look, Paul, you look, you look stumped, Tom. No. So, I mean, I guess the, the interesting, so you're, you would say that you would just leave it in there basically forever, right? Like you said, that's your long-term, you know, re, uh, retirement health fund or something like that, Correct. right? Like we don't have a job that's going to give us like retirement benefits after we leave, right? We don't have right. the pension right. type thing. So to me, it's kind of a supplement for that. Right. Okay. No, it's, that's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, like I said, my, you know, my problem is that, um, you know, we're constantly at the doctor, you know, I think I put a couple thousand dollars in the HSA this year, flew through it within a couple of months, you know, with, you know, God knows what, you know, the kids are bringing home, but, um, no, that's, that's, um, that's very interesting. I didn't think about it that way. So maybe I got to change my plan now. I don't know. <laughs> if, if you have the, you know, if you have the extra cash, Right. Then, then you know, it's just a trade. You want to, do you want to pay it out of here? Or you want to pay it out of there. Right. But I, I like right. the, the triple tax free, you know, functionality of it is, is better than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. No, very interesting. And I told Megan the same thing. She should do that too. <laughs> Megan was a coworker of ours who might yeah. be, who might be listening today, actually. I'm sure she actually already texted. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, um, one more thing on the HSA, according to healthcare.gov, keep in mind that although you can use it for co-pays and deductibles, in general, you can't use the HSA uh, funds to pay for premiums. To pay the, right, to pay right. the premium itself. In general, itself. you can't. Right. Right. It's got to be for actual medical use. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. That was, uh, that was a good one. Bring it on, Tom. What's next? So, um, I... I feel like everybody in America is a little bit financially illiterate. Um, and I think that's why I like listening to your podcast too. So I want to be able to give my kids some, some of that financial literacy. Um, we've opened 529s for them. Um, I'd like to be able to teach them about the stock market. Uh, what, what are some ways that you think that you could um, that I could teach my you know five-year-old about compounding interest or you know what the stock market is or, or any of these kinds of things? to make him learn the value of a dollar. Go ahead. Sure. 
So I think a, a few things that sort of are foundational to what you just asked, Tom, in some of our previous uh, episodes, we talked about the importance of, of discipline and a lot of other um, underlying uh, character traits. And I think those baseline foundation things that you teach your kids are vastly important, not just for what you're trying to teach them financially, but just a uh, general character for life. I think when our kids were younger, my wife and I really started simplistic with a chart. And we started the, the children on allowance uh, based on their age, a little older one got a base allowance a little bit higher, the younger one a little bit younger, but as they reached the same age, they could also earn the same amount. Along with the chart and their base allowance, they all had the opportunity to increase the amount. And I wasn't really sure if it was getting through to my kids until one time we were at the dollar store and there's this little magnet action figure that one of my children wanted. And the child came up to me and said, dad, you know, I really want this toy. And I said, oh, you know, we told you to bring your allowance money. Did you bring it? And he goes, oh yeah, I brought it. He said, but I'm saving mine. I don't want to spend mine. Can you get this for me? <laughs> and I thought to myself, this is great. How wonderful is this? And I said, you know what? I said, you brought up a great point. I said, I'm glad to hear you're saving that. And I said, you know what? I said, I'm saving mine too. And then he's asking, the child said, you know, so what am I supposed to do? And I said, well, now you have to choose, right? Whatever you're saving it for versus how important this is to you. Right. In this case, you know, that child decided to buy that. But then later on, I think it was like a couple of days later, they wanted something else. And I said, that's that's the trade-off. Buyer's remorse. Right. So I can't say that I you know, necessarily <laughs> started them, you know, at that age, elementary school, talking about stock markets. But I think a lot of the small baseline values, right, they have to make judgments. They have to choose. And unfortunately, like many other aspects in life, they have to face the consequences and reap the rewards, both the good and the bad. Just like we talked about in a previous episode about learning to ride a bike. Yep. Right. Good and bad. Either way, we accept it and move on and learn from it. Yep. I, I think um, you need to use real life um, experiences for them. I think if you can explain to them, but I think you need to see. And like, I, I, there's a lot of things that I learned growing up. And I mean, so did my brother, but apparently he didn't take the same thing out of it. But uh, I know when I was when I was born or when my grandparents, when they had their grandchildren, each grandchild was born, they bought them a stock. Um and I remember when I was old enough, my father would show me the statement and say, you know, when you turn 18, you can do whatever you want with this. But he showed me a statement. He showed, see, now this thing, uh, it keeps growing. Now it's split. So now you have twice as many you had before. And he explained to me what was going on. I'd see this. And I, and I remember like when my brother turned 18, he's like, I'm selling it. And I turned 18. I'm like, this is doing great. I'm going to put money. I didn't have a lot of money, but I'm putting more money into it. Um, and I, I had that stock for for 35 years and I saw it growing and um, it was something that I got to see from, from young until I got, you know, to be an adult. And it, it definitely helped me understand the stock market and, and, you know, things growing, things like that. So Johnny just got back. So um, I do apologize. Someone was at the front door. <laughs> the recap is uh, you should have had your app working so you could let them in. I understand. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> Nikki was already there. It's my assistant with all the twins and the daughter. So, so the question right. we're on now is, uh, how do you get your young kids, he's got a five-year-old and younger, how do you get them up to speed on like financial literacy and just understanding the value of money and stuff like that? So uh, Ed talked, Gary just talked about his experience. 
Well, I, I mean, obviously, I think you don't you don't know me um, except that I grew up with Ray, but I also do not have any kids. But um, I helped. But you were a kid once. Yeah, I was, and that's why I wanted to to say it. But also, we've been very active in taking care of my cousin's kids from birth to they're all in their twenties, early thirties, children educated, and I think the one thing which is a general comment but lends itself to finance. You have to keep kids busy. I think every generation can attest that if you keep a child busy and you're occupying their time with productive stuff, and one of those things as part of the pie has to be finance. So personally, I don't have, chil- I don't have children, as I said, but also growing up, there wasn't direct instruction for finance. There was only an example. The only example that I saw was my mother. My mother was just very proactive and just constantly telling me, you have to save money, have to save money. She was never very specific. She just always referred to a time that was coming that was, we're all going to pass hunger, right? She grew up in Puerto Rico, extremely poor. She knows what it is to have absolutely nothing. And she was just repeating what her grandmother and her mother told her, listen, hard times are coming. Make sure you prepare for them, right? But because these, this generation coming doesn't know what hard times are and probably won't even come close to that definition of hard times, you're just putting it into the correct context of if you want this and if you're aiming to achieve this, you need money. And unfortunately, that's the, the thing that a lot of people don't like to talk about. The world is run by money. If you want to do certain things, you want certain things in life, you have to have money. So, you know, I would my only advice would be Every chance you get, you got to give them real life examples of what you need money for and what happens when you don't have it or once you get it and you misuse it, it's very difficult to recover it. It's very much like time, right? So the only advice I would do is keep them very busy and in that busy schedule, make sure that 20 minutes of that day, they're having finance 101 and eventually it will sink in. You know, and a lot of the things you think about, and I apologize, I'm winded. I was coming up and down the stairs a few times with a, with a child, but it does sink in. And I think another thing that you have to give yourself, which what I'm noticing, we just came from a house. My little cousin's son is there. These kids are in their mid to late twenties and it's just sinking in. It's not something that's going to happen as quickly as our generation. So little by little, by example, and that's the last thing I'll leave to you. The burden is completely on you. They're going to be looking at everything that you do. So if you want them to have a positive economic outlook, you need to have a positive. If, if you're trying to tell them, do this, or like this thing says, do as I say, not as I do, it doesn't work. Simple as that. So. Unfortunately, uh, advice coming from someone who doesn't have a child, but definitely pay attention and repetition, repetition. I got a couple, but I'm going to let Adam go first. All right. Thanks, Ray. So first, uh, Tom, I got a comment on your comment on the state of financial illiteracy in this country. Just a beautiful euphemism for where we're at. Uh, But I think you can also take that as a positive, right? Because... If you have some financial literacy, you're already head and shoulders above most people. And the opportunity you have now with your kids at, at, at their age to instill some basic financial survival skills is, is just huge. So I would, I would say that 
Don't underestimate the capacity of your, your kids to absorb this stuff. And yes, it is what you do, not what you say. But when they're ready, talk about your specific examples. You don't need to go buy some book or, or program or uh, other podcast other than other than this one, which is free. But use the examples that you have. You know, one day, uh, Liam may say, Mommy, Daddy, how much does our house cost? And get into it. And he might say, wow, that's a lot of money. You, you, you had a lot of money. Well, then you can explain, well, we borrow the money. How that gets paid back. And young kids can ask, well, how does the trust work there? What happens if you don't pay the bank back? What does the bank do? And what is the bank's interest in lending you money in the first place? And, and through some basic financial literacy, I had a second grader tell the, her teacher, well, the bank can afford to do that because they're making more interest on it by lo- borrowing, or I'm sorry, taking your money and, and, and loaning it out to somebody else at a higher interest rate. So you can get into as much level of detail as you can. And when your kid's eyes glaze over, okay, well, then you can stop. But you may be surprised at, at how much they can absorb how quickly. So I've got two, uh, two examples from, from me. And um, one of them, Stern, is actually from your brother, uh, Mark. So um, they, when their kids were very young, they created money in the house, right? So they got a jar of like colorful beads or something. I forget what it was. And they basically had a chart on the, on the fridge and, uh, you know, that said, hey, if you, you know, if you do this chore, you get this many beads. If you do this, you, and then they had a separate chart that said, here are all the things you can buy with those things. Lunch with mom, lunch with dad, you know, extra hour on the iPad, you know, whatever it was, it had this, this system, right? Um, so without using real money, they were able to, to teach them that if they do a little bit of work or do something right, then they could then go get things that they want. And I'm pretty sure it had negatives in too, right? If you do something wrong, we're taking, you, you put beads back in the jar, right? Um, so I think that was the very, very young, like five, you know, four years old and less, way to, 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 to teach them the value of working and doing the right thing and having, you know, a capability of, of getting what you want. How would be different than actually giving them money? Giving them, uh, like, giving them money? I, because uh, yeah. my guess is that when they're two years old or three years old, like colorful beads are just probably more interesting than a paper that says a one and a paper that has a five on it, right? Like, I, I'm, I'm thinking that's the only difference. Um, so that's one example, and your kids are right about that age. You could probably do something like that. Um, the other thing that I started doing when Noah was young was uh, opened up a, che- a savings account for him, like a high interest savings account, and we put money in there. And every, well, nothing regular, maybe once a month or whatever it was, I would log in and look at the account with him and show him like, look, we put in $20 and now it's $20.03, right? Because the interest was whatever it was. But it was basically, I kept telling him it's free. It's not free money, but it's, they're giving you this money and you didn't have to work for it, right? And there's this <coughs> thing about it, like showing them the real numbers on paper and like you can make it up in a spreadsheet and just show them nonsense. That's fine too. But we just happen to do it with a regular or real checking account online. Um, and that makes a big difference, right? And, and ever since then, he's been growing that money and using it at his own savings account for all these years. Um, so I, I think that was helpful in the whole interest, compounding interest, you know, discussion and understanding that, you, you know, you can, you can make your money work for more money, right? I'll give you three more uh, real world uh, examples that really appealed to my kids uh, that I thought was very interesting for kids their age. You know, it's like early elementary school I'm talking. 
One is the Baltimore Children's Museum. I don't know if you guys have been to the Inner Harbor, but if your kids are, I know you said about four years old, one and a half, probably in a couple of years, it'll be a pretty cool trip for you guys. They got a great aquarium. The Children's Museum, I don't know if they still had the display, but it's called Early Earl and Late Louise. And it's all about exactly what we're talking about, right? Saving early. Other children's museums we've been to in other cities in, in Pittsburgh and Boston, they also have similar displays. But my kids always remember the Early Earl and Late Louise. The second uh, thing you can do is at your local bank branches. I know after COVID, there aren't as many, but there's a local branch at our area in our hometown that had this children's program. Our kids loved the dinosaur banks they gave. And it made like a little dinosaur noise and the legs moved and the tail wagged when you put the money in. So they just loved it. So it was really enticing for the kids. And the last thing is there's a terrific board game for elementary school kids. Maybe in a few years, you guys can play as a family for your game nights. It's called the allowance game. And it's kind of a, a lot of what we talked about as teaching the kids to save, teaching value, spend here. And then you don't have as much, unfortunately. So it's a pretty good board game. You can probably check it out online. So if you guys like to do that with your family, something to look out for. Yeah. And like throw Monopoly in there too, because it actually has some real world, you know, real estate type um, aspects to it. Um, and kids can play that young. So that brings up a good point though. We used to play Monopoly with the kids. Um, and when they were very young, and I'm going to say three, four, just countable when they could count, we would make the youngest kids be the banker, right? And make change and, and not necessarily to learn about finance so much, but just to like understand how counting and math and moving money, you know, making changes and stuff like it just helps a lot. So just getting familiar with numbers is also something that's important. It just makes it all kind of fit together a little better. So, um, Ed, you brought up cash flow before the, the game, the board game cash flow, right? Yeah. Little need to, you need to be older. That's, older. that's a little bit older. Um, but that was, game, though. right. But that was, that game was built, but that game was built by, um, oh yeah, the game's right there. Um, <laughs> was produced by Robert Kiyosaki, who is a big time real estate investor, right? Rich so, Dad, Poor Dad. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and a few other, a bunch of other books. Um, so yes, you need to be older, but it does, um, it does help a lot with the whole buying and selling and buying low and selling high and all that kind of stuff. So there's lots of things you can do, but you just got to do it. And I think Johnny said it before, it's all on you, right? They're not going to learn it anywhere else. Yeah, right? and, and something interesting, even about the examples about like the monopoly and stuff, Something at least that I do with the, the girls that are close to me, my cousin's daughters, sometimes you think by just playing the game with them, they'll get it. You need to stop in that scenario. You're playing something, you're having a conversation and you need to explain it to them. Say, see, this is a game, but this is how it relates to life. Those 15 minutes where you explain that to them, it really does stick. And the earlier, the better. One of the things that I did to them that they always um, remind me of, I played to them IOUSA, it's this thing about how the budget of the United States works, where all the money's going, why, you know, they'll explain why Social Security, people think it's not going to last, blah, blah, blah. Is it a all game or is it a No, it's a, it's like a, a show. It's a documentary. The, oh, yeah, yeah. The X, I sent it to you. Yep, the, yep. It has a whole bunch of good people, good, good minded, um, but I'm not promoting that video. I'm just saying one day I, I, I sat them down, I just played it. And I was like, listen, when you see your mom using a credit card, when you see this, when you see that. All of a sudden, you know, 10 years later, it'll come out of your mouth. You're like, yeah, I remember when you showed me that video. I would have never paid attention to it if you didn't stop and show me that. So, so in what you're doing, if you could just contextualize it into everyday life, don't assume it, they're going to do it themselves. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. Yeah. And last thing. Johnny, I was that's a great comment on stopping and showing and pausing when you need to. Which yeah. Uh, I think I need to do because I think I may have unintentionally misspoke earlier about mortgages. Uh, the question is, why would a bank loan money to people? 
And, and the answer is because the bank is getting the money at a lower interest rate or even a zero interest rate from depositors. And when they lend it to you, they make a profit on a portion of that interest rate that they're charging you. So I just wanted to put that out there to avoid all of the, uh, the hate mail that was undoubtedly coming my way. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> a lot of live comments are complaining already. <laughs> and, and one other thing um, on top of what Ed said, uh, of a, another friend of mine, and I wish I had thought of this and I didn't, when his kids were young and they saved, the, the deal they made was, if you save money, I will match it in, the, in your account. So when you put it in, and it was an account, I think that they couldn't take anything out of for some amount of years or whatever. Um, so anytime they got a I mean, money for their birthday, they might take half of it or all of it or whatever. So and, what's the rules? And, what if they put $100 in, they want to take it out after you match it? A week later. No, they had a, he had a limit. Like you can't take it out till you're 18 or some okay. or, or something. There's some long time frame or maybe certain. I, I don't know the rules, but make up your own rules, right? But the bottom line was, hey, if you do this, I'll help you, right? And and that was you know it wasn't just you putting money away for your kids and they don't even know it and you're going to surprise them when they're 18. That's great, but they didn't learn anything, right? Right. So it's incentive. It's incentive. Yep. Yeah. One caution I'll share with you, Tom, and you and your wife may already experience this, but you know, the children are human beings. And so every human being is different. And my wife and I are always surprised about, man, you know, these two kids came from the same two people, yet they're so different. And their views on finances and their receptiveness to what we try to teach them on finances is no different than any other aspect of life. Yeah. So you you and you know, your spouse may have to tweak how you're going about things with each child because each one's different, right? One will be really receptive to it, one might not be. So you have to try something a little bit different with someone. So just keep your minds and options open for that. And don't be frustrated or set back because every parent's been there, yeah. right? Every kid's different. Yeah, and I think Ray will test. You could, you could have four kids or a bunch of kids grow up in the same house and they are completely different. <laughs> we, we had four in our house and it's yeah. the same. Exactly. But there's nothing wrong with that, right? No, I'm not saying there yeah. is, but yeah. you can't take it yeah. for granted. So you got to sort of be very proactive yeah. and reactive when you see the one that's sort of going the wrong way. It's your job to pull them into the fold. That's right. All right. I think we're out of, we're out of examples on that one. <laughs> what else you got, Tom? Well, I, got, I, got, I got one more. Um, so, um, in the interest of trying to do a side gig, maybe an investment property or some sort of investment, um, my wife and I have obviously been sacking away some money thinking about where to go. Uh, I guess my question is, how do you guys deal with risk? Um, when do you pull the trigger? How do you know it's right? And I know that this is probably going to get a spreadsheet, a little jingle or something <laughs> after I stop saying it, but, um, <laughs> But, uh, but, but it's more, not so much about the math. It's more just about like literally pulling the trigger on, you know, your nest egg and, and really risking, you know, a significant investment. Um, how do you, how do you sort of get yourself ready to do it and, and, and really pull the trigger? Well, if Tom, you've already, you, you had, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's spreadsheet. It's spreadsheet based. And I think Ray is one of the best <laughs> at this. You, you got to take emotion out of it. There's always going to be emotion there. And in your spreadsheet, yeah, have a certain percentage for risk. Have a percentage for the, the shit happens factor. And don't force the results. It might not be a good opportunity, right? Don't try to create the spreadsheet in a way that it gives you the result that you think you might want. Do it as honestly as you can. And if you do that, you, you got to trust the results and, and you got to go with it. And the absolute worst case minimum is you're going to have a great learning experience. And the best case is you're a smart guy. You did the homework. You probably surprise yourself. 
I was going to say, if you've done the homework and it makes sense, then you have to trust that you've done the right the right thing. Now, if you're talking about an investment property, what's the worst thing that happens? You don't make as much money on rent as you thought, and you're not losing money as much as you're just not making a whole lot of money. Or, or maybe you're they're still paying your rent or whatever, but or your mortgage, but you're going to maybe maybe lose five thousand dollars a year because you're not getting as much money out of it as you thought. Now, if you want to do something, take this money, and go start a restaurant. Well, yeah, then you could lose all of it. Um, but what's the worst case thing that's going to happen if you do what you want to do? Are you going to lose all your money, or are you just going to take a little longer, maybe before you start making money? Yeah, I would agree, and I was thinking the same thing. Um, buying options on the stock market, you could lose all your money. Opening a restaurant, you're going to have to throw in a ton of cash in the beginning, and you could lose it all if it goes out of business. There's there's a lot of risk there, right? Um, Buying a, a real estate investment trust, putting money in the stock market, buying real estate, you're probably not going to lose all your money, right? Like those are the lower risk sides of the thing. And, um, you know, we found, like we didn't buy our first investment property for about seven or more years after we started looking, right? Because we happened to be looking before the real estate crash and nothing made sense because the spreadsheet Anybody? Oh. Um, <laughs> the spreadsheet just kept turning red, right? And saying it's not the right time, right? So um, when it finally got, you know, closer to green um, is when we when we bought our first property. And it just it was just a matter of patience. And the, and the good thing about the patience part is that you're just building up more availability of cash or investment opportunities through that time, right? Um, so it feels, it might, if you look back, you could say, oh, it seemed lucky you, you, you were able to buy that thing at that time, but it was really being prepared and for the opportunity to come because it will always come, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's what I think, right? So I, I think, um, look, there's, there's plenty of ways to do real estate and some of them are completely hands-off, right? And we've, we've bought a condo hotel that's completely hands-off and it's one of the greatest ones. And if you're a busy working guy and your wife's busy and you got two young kids, like that's probably one of the better things to do that or just a plain old REIT in your investment account. Um, those are the ways to do it without really impacting your day-to-day -day life. Um, so we could talk about more about condo hotels uh, either today or some other day, um, but it's really a hands-off real estate play um, and it's really great. And, and Adam's uh, done the same thing in, in the same building. We both uh, bought one in Myrtle Beach and um, actually Adam's bought two, right? So um, Different places. Yeah. So, um, so those are the, those are the kind of things that I would think about. And Gary's right. Do the thing. If you do the things that you're not going to lose at all, then you will feel a lot more easy about the, the, the minimal risk that's involved. And, he, and, and you could, you could not make money the first couple of years. You could break even the first couple of years. Right. Um, but if you've done the right thing and you did your homework, you know, you'll probably, it'll probably work out in the future. And, and look, we're also talking about, even if the cash flow month to month doesn't work, You've got the underlying asset that's going to appreciate. Is a piece of real estate now going to be worth more in 10 years? Probably. Um, more in 15 years? Probably. You're going to be able to raise the rent each year along the way? Probably, yeah. Yeah. And, and look, there will be downs. Real estate does go down like 2008. Um, it's going to, you know, so you can't bank on the equity in any certain amount of time. But at some point, it will be there is, is usually how it works, unless we have Armageddon in the markets. Um, but I think that it sounds like the general consensus is, you, yeah, you know. I think the only thing I can add to Springboard, they, they've touched on all of them, but you need to go by the risk that you're comfortable with. But also, let's use the example of real estate. You should be in a section of real estate that you understand, that you could appreciate any ramifications, right? Because if you look at 
what Ray just said on the condos, we don't we don't have the I guess we don't have the example of the people who owned it right when COVID started. Right. They lock these places down. You have cash flow issues. So you need to know all the scenarios associated with all the different types of investing. So I'll give you my, my last example. My first was a three family home, but I knew it well. My father had a two family. I, I work and I live in a town that is all multifamilies. I knew all the nuances about it. So it'd be a big difference if I go and buy, you know, some building in Manhattan, which I, I know nothing about. Right. So you want to keep the investment something that you're either going to do all the um, research and feel comfortable with or you have resources that you could go ask questions. But I would really hesitate to start just something out of the blue that you're not familiar with and not comfortable with. So real estate in your neck of the woods, not, not, not some people don't like that phrase, so I apologize. But in, in your area, you know, are you comfortable? With it? Do you understand it? Is it an option? And these are the things that you should be asking yourself so that if, if it's not on the list, then you got to start making a list of the stuff that you would feel comfortable participating in. Because I've talked to a lot of people who are at your stage and they chose something that was completely off from their personality, from their ability. And then five years later, I talked to them. It was usually a negative story afterward. You got to pick something you're comfortable with or if, if you're not comfortable or you're not abreast with any of the options, just make sure you do your due diligence and really get comfortable with what you're getting into. And usually research, conversations with people who already done it will, will take care of 85% of that. But, you know, do it cautiously, but do it with the understanding on what you're trying to achieve and what you're comfortable with. So, so let's give you- I might also say, if you buy locally in your neighborhood and you're relatively handy, somewhat handy, you got a big leg up because who knows, you may be able to avoid paying an electrician three, 400 bucks because- um, there's there's a, a simple you know breaker needs to be reset or, or something silly um being handy helps uh but you also don't want to make that your uh career uh, right all experts when needed one thing i'll throw in there tom um kind of piggybacking what adam and, and johnny just said you know johnny had mentioned you got to be comfortable you know with what you're doing i absolutely agree with that and adam mentioned about being handy you know your kids are pretty young you know i'm not sure what you're your, your plans are, but, you know, maybe you're planning on, you know, doing some coaching and hanging out with them, you know, whatever groups and events they're in and your, maybe your wife as well. I personally was not that handy. So if you're interested in something a little more hands off and obviously you're not going to have the equity in it, but Vanguard, um, I like their website. I find it very friendly. They have a real estate fund. So obviously not going to have the equity because you don't own the property, but it's actually large scale residential apartment buildings and also commercial. Yep. a real estate that that fund invests in. So if that's something that might be more your speed, you can check it out at Vanguard.com. Yep. And some of those, I don't know about that one, but some of the larger REITs, they give you dividends monthly, not yearly, um, because that's how the rent roll is. So that's another option. So, so let's list out just to give like real examples, right? So there's ETFs and mutual funds, which I just described. Johnny's describing REITs. So there's a bunch of companies out there that do real estate investment trusts slightly different, right? So they go out and they say, like, we're going to build this medical arts building, we're going to rent it out for five years, and then we're going to sell it, right? And they take investment money from people like us. Mm -hmm. You put in 10000 or 20000 you buy shares basically in a building, and then 
you get the dividends from that. And then when they sell it, you make any proceeds, right? right? But you're kind of locked in for five, seven, 10 years, depending on what's going on with, with their construction projects and how it, and how it goes. Um, but it's another hands-off way to do it. Um, it's a little more tied down than what Ed just described because with you know any kind of fund, Vanguard, anybody, you can sell it and buy it anytime you want. These are a little more locked down, but theoretically you should you you have the equity piece that's missing from a regular REIT, right? So there's that. Um, we've had uh, Gary's the, done the local thing, right? He bought a he bought a place local, right? Uh, relatively local to where you live. Housing? Yeah, your yes. house. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So he bought a house local from his dad, uh, and it's a two-family, right? Yes. So you got two renters in there. Johnny bought the three-family he just described, local, and he knows you know the the economy and everything that's going on. You also bought the place in Georgia. Correct. And it's a good example of, because I knew I wasn't going to be able to take care of it myself, that is completely taken care of by a property management. And that's the example of the same thing, just zero input. I'm, I'm going to go a step further, which most people don't believe us, but we have never stepped foot in that house. And I've only been in the cul-de-sac looking at it from far away, about 30 feet away from it. <laughs> I didn't go for the closing, did absolutely nothing. And I've had it since 2007 with the same people living in it. So go wow. figure. That's impressive. It's a one family? That's good. Yeah, it's a one family home. And you bought it brand new. They were brand they were selling new. it. Pre, pre-construction, pre-construction. And another interesting thing, which um, the deal with the um, property management was they were the ones who were funding the build. So if you bought it at pre-construction, they locked you in at 5% of the fee, which is very low. So, you know, these are, these are different things. Like what you were saying, there's, there's risks associated with stepping out and taking your nest egg. But if you do the research and you see what's happening, you know, so, you know, these guys know I'm, I do not, I'm not a fan of, 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 um, Excel in the sense of it's not what's going to make my decision a hundred percent, but I do know how to use it. I, and, and it was one of those things where all I did was pick the best location, which I thought would um, grow. It was way up in the sticks, even 29 miles from Atlanta. And then what happened? They put an express lane on the, on the main highway and it passes right by the neighborhood. It doubled. So, you know, it's, 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 it's little things. It's like a suburb of, the neck of the woods? Yeah. Yeah. I got it. Has your it, rent it, gone up a lot since then, though? If it's the same person? It's the same, you know, 35 bucks a month, uh, year. You know, that they, kind they of increase thing. it, right? Increase it every time. They're the older, older, retired people. They were working when they started, but they retired while they were there, and they're happy. You know, they even put their own fence in the backyard and at, at no cost to me. But the point that I'm trying to make is <clears throat> you, you have the experience of someone who 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 decided to do it in their backyard because they knew they could support it, right? And then I was willing to take a little bit loss of money only because it financially made sense and I just knew I wasn't gonna be able to be calling people all the way over there. 5% is not a, not a lot. It's nothing, it's nothing, so. Usually about 12. Yeah, 12, 10, eight the hour, but you know, two examples, they both work, but more importantly, you know, there's, a, you know, you should have a pie of all the available investments but really pay attention to the leverage associated with real estate because there's, there's different levels. Once you have this real estate, once you have it rented, there's a million things you could be doing in with that. Like you could be refinancing, you could take the money out and reinvest that and keep going. So it's really how, how much you feel comfortable, but as long as it's rock solid from the get-go, 
then you have those options. That's right. So for me, we've done, we've done vacation properties, right? That we manage, right? Which is a lot of work. We've got the condo hotel, which is zero work. Um, and we've got a couple of properties that are in a retirement community in Florida um, that are in between, in between, right? They take a little bit of work, but we have people down there that do it for us, but you've got to call them and, you know, it's not like a hotel where they just do it on their own. Um, and we've got to find the tenants, but they're usually a month or two or three months, you know, so it's not constant turnover, right? So um, we've done all those. Plus I bought my parents' house um, many years ago and had long-term tenants in there. And to me, that was the least uh, enjoyable experience, you know, and some people do it and they're, and they're great with it. Um, but I wasn't, you know, we just didn't do great with it. So um, we've shied away from long-term tenants since then. And you might want to, I think it's not, that you have to explain it, but you realize there's like the three family, that's a long term. You're getting a lease, someone's being in that apartment for a very long time, but yet his ones in Arrowhead are just people doing a long weekend, a week. The vacation properties, yeah. You should yeah. be able to, to distinguish which one of those you want it to be. Right, and the harder ones are gonna be more, right? So the, they're more profitable when you do short-term rentals, but they're more work, right? So again, if I was, if Tom, the question you're asking about, you know, in your current busy life, you want to go for the, you probably want to go for the little, the less work to begin with. Yeah, definitely agree. So Adam, do you want to jump in with, with the examples of what you've got before we close it up? Uh, yeah, sure. So I started with a few uh, townhomes within my same zip code, reasonably handy. And I found that a lot of the horror stories about bad tenants, you know, either I've, I've, I've been lucky or they're just overblown. Um, haven't had much uh, issue. Um, my strategy was always to, to rent a little bit under market value. So I get enough applicants so that I can pull their FICO scores and you get a 720, you're in. And I don't know if it would have been different had I not run credit checks. Um, but have not had a problem uh, with good properties and good tenants. Uh, also regarding the uh, condo tells, um, now I'm uh, at, at, at the advanced uh, elderly AARP age of 52 and a half. I do appreciate the condo tell approach where there really is nothing to do. Um, they take 40% of the top line revenue, which is, seems egregious, unfair, ridiculous, but at the end of the day, what is that covering? Well, I don't have to do anything and the numbers still work. The spreadsheet still turns green. So let them have their 40%. That's right. They do, they do everything. They book the rooms, they check people in, they clean the rooms, they do, they do everything. So um, it's been great. That's passive income. That's true passive income. True. That's right. Tom, does that answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think so. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot of different perspectives, but, um, but I appreciate the, uh, the thoughts because it is, uh, it, I feel like it is the next step. You know, I've, you know, I've heard you guys say before, like, you know, the nine to five is great. You got to do something on the side too. You know, you got to have some sort of side investment. Um, so I'm really taking that to heart. So that's, that's really where my head is at. It's like, where do we go? That's um, great. Still, I'm, you know, but, but we're going to get there. That's a big message of ours, right? What do you hear about when you're contributing to your 401k? Oh, diversity, diversity. You got to have international funds, bonds, stocks, uh, metals, whatever. Well, what kind of diversity is it if your paycheck is just coming from a single company? Right? So this just ties into that as well. Multiple streams of income. Critical. 
That's right. Okay. Uh, that's the end of your list, right, Tom? Yeah. So one thing I did wanted to bring up here was that you guys see um, Tom's background or you see where Tom is located, right? Um, do you want to give us a description of where you are, Tom? Sure. So um, when we found out that my wife was pregnant with my daughter, um, it was during COVID. I was working from home and um, we only have three bedrooms. So I said, all right, I got to renovate my shed. Um, so I'm actually in a uh, small prefabricated shed. It's about... 15 by 18, something like that. Uh, it's half, half storage, as you can see over here, and then half workplace. I was so, trying to um, figure out where he was. Do you have air conditioning <laughs> so and heat is, uh, in there? It, so I'm surprised you guys can't hear it, but I do have my air conditioner going over there. Ray actually told me to not put it in the window right in front of me because it'd be too noisy. But it's got a couple of like double hum windows. And then for heat, um, this is my uh, clean the pan over here. It's a small um, wall-mounted wood-burning stove, so it's, uh, it's like a 12 by 12 cube um, that uh, I had to cut a hole through the ceiling. Um, you probably see my poor spackle jobs over here, but uh, but yeah, so I use this thing. It'll get this uh, even in the winter um, up to you know, like almost 80 degrees if I keep feeding it wood. So um, it's uh, it's really cool, and it has a cool like heat deflector. So this whole thing is designed it's designed to be wall mounted. It's just plywood behind here, and um, and yeah, it works great. Cubic cubic right. mini wood stoves, I think it's called. But uh, great, um, that's it. awesome. And look, you're obviously handy. There may be some really good opportunities in real estate coming up in in, in your <laughs> neck of the woods, whether that's out in the sticks or in the boonies. Um, be prepared for it. Do your homework now so that you're ready to pull the trigger when when the opportunity. You could do uh, small comes. homes. Tiny, tiny home. Tiny yeah. homes. When, when the spreadsheet flashes green. But I'll, I'll tell you what else. You had me completely won over when you panned around and I saw the Steelers swag. I yeah. believe in gold too, baby. <laughs> Here we go, Steelers. I was a Steelers fan, I guess, retrospectively, only in the last couple of years. But um, but yeah, we love it. We went to uh, we went to see a, a Farm Aid. We went to the Farm Aid concert in Pittsburgh a couple of years ago, and then we went and, and uh, went to the home opener. And then after that, I was like, forget it. I'm done with New York football teams. I'm, I'm a Steelers fan now. So. Oh, convert. All right. Welcome aboard. Very cool. All right. Um, anybody add anything else for Tom? Nope. I just want to thank you for your time. Yeah, man. Oh, I'm happy to do it, man. Thanks for having me. And you, we can always say you were the first live, uh, first live guest for us. So you uh, not one swear. Should yeah. we throw one in just to? <laughs> I think there was one somewhere. You did. Me? Yeah. I didn't think I'd do that. Yeah. So Tom, I have a question for you. So, from an outside perspective, what is your thoughts of this podcast? So I, I really like it. Um, it's interesting now because I, I always listen to it on the train on my way to work. Um, so uh, it's, it's interesting seeing you guys because it's putting faces with, you know, with voices, Who's which is really handsome? interesting. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, but no, I, I think you guys have a really great dynamic. I think it's the topics are very interesting. Um, I, I think it's cool. I honestly, I promote it quite a bit at, at our, uh, at Ray's former place of employment too. Everybody always asks me like, Oh, you talked to Ray. I'm like, yeah, check, check it out. At ecstatic pod.com. Check it out. <laughs> Thanks but, for the uh, support. Awesome. You guys know, keep going, keep going. It'll be, uh, you know, you'll be the next Joe Rogan one day. Who knows? It's important though. You, you, we won't. You're We're not on, allowed to be off color. 
Yeah, but he's on the hook because now, either a year, two years, three years from now, I'm going to tell Ray, wait, we want him back on the show. We want to see what he did. Where'd he go? So we're going to hold you to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good, guys, I, I don't know if we want to put a wager on this, but I, I'm thinking Tom's going to be wildly successful <laughs> in the future. Is. Necessarily all because of this podcast, but ninety uh, percent. We'll know, take credit. Ninety percent, at least. That's right. All right, everybody. I think that's a wrap for today. Tom, thanks again, and uh, we'll be talking soon. Hi, right, buddy. Take all care, right. Tom. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your night. Thank you for listening to the Addict Static Podcast. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe, and feel free to leave a comment below. Or come check us out at our website at addictstaticpod.com. And stay tuned for new episodes out every Monday.